0: All you New Taxi. Taxi. Okay, we're this is the 77 W.A.B.C. minicast.
1: I had the privilege this weekend of attending CPAC, a great Friday and Saturday. Got to hear President Trump's outstanding speech. The overflow audience loved it. And you know how Biden shuffles around on a stage if he gets to the stage over to the podium after being led there. President Trump walked out on this massive stage, walked over to the flag that was on a stanchion on the right side of the stage. a huge stage. He gave it a big hug and to a great war pickup and to a great roar from the audience. He then walked over to the podium some seventy five feet away. Think about the last time you saw. Joe Biden walked 75 feet anywhere. But anyway, he acknowledged everybody. Then he delivered a powerful, wide-ranging, often downright hilarious speech. And you know how Biden mumbles and whispers and talks sometimes incoherently? For maybe five minutes, ten minutes at most, and a little of it understandable, President Trump proceeded to speak to the CPAC audience. Are you ready? He spoke to the audience for almost two hours, two hours long, and a great speech it was. Let me say, he will be returned to the White House on November 5th, 100%. Well, today we have two great guests. Our theme, the police state that was once our government. Our first guest is Mike Benz. He's executive director of the Foundation for Freedom Online, I believe him to be the foremost expert on the police state censorship and propaganda and its history. And, Mike, it's great to have you with us. You believe the two greatest instances of censorship in our country's history were the COVID-19 pandemic and the rigged election of 2020. Am I quoting you correctly?
0: Well, I should sort of preface that by saying that their plan was to scale out what they did for those two things, those two events for, quote, every sensitive policy issue. And uh, my foundation's website has a whole super cut of clips about the way they wanted to expand uh, what they did for uh, COVID-19 censorship and 2020 election censorship into virtually every issue of concern in foreign policy establishment, spanning energy, immigration, uh, abortion, you name it. But, uh, but essentially what was happening during the COVID-19 and uh, the 2020 election mass censorship operations, which again were the most censored events in human history. And I include China's great firewall and other things in that when you look at the sheer scale of it. But what was happening was you basically had a perfect storm of, of three things that were available then and, and in ready position that did not exist before and currently do not quite exist anymore. And, and that was you had a combination of censorship technology, censorship institutional uh, embedding, and political legitimacy to get away with it, in, in the sense that there was not any pushback, there was not any, uh, it had not been scandalized, there was no public awareness, even trying to say, hey, this might be happening, got you labeled you know, something between either a, a partisan or a conspiracy theorist. And a lot of people didn't want to believe that the, uh, the you know, to stare directly into the sun, so to speak, and to uh, understand what they were even up against. And so those three things, the technology, the institutional embedding, the political legitimacy allowed them to get away with that. And those three things were essentially the the AI censorship and narrative detection capabilities in order to detect every emerging narrative. Every grouping of communities in order to designate them as dis or malinformation, the sort of technology that did not exist before 2016, when all speech on the Internet was flagged manually. So you couldn't do millions or tens of millions of things censored at once. The, The technology did not exist to be able to track and then scan and ban or apply different levels of content moderation at scale. You know, if, uh, whether that's, you know, they, they call it remove, reduce, inform. Remove is when you just band something on together. Inform is the fact check label and the friction and reduce is this great inter, you know, this, this great vast tundra of different interventions, as they call them in order to throttle or deamplify or apply a so-called virality circuit breaker so that technically it's posted, but it can't get shared or it can't get above a certain number of of uh of shares or uh, or click-throughs or whatnot. So this this was technology that had been in development really since twenty fourteen, but then it is supercharged after the twenty sixteen election. And you had this brand new predicate with the de- met with democracy after the Mullergate investigation fell apart in July twenty nineteen. We created these tools around censoring Russian disinformation. And you had the Pentagon and the State Department and the CIA and hundreds of NGOs and university centers who, were, who all had this institutional embedding with all the major tech companies. And they now had their hands on these play toys for these AI weapons of mass deletion, you know, as I re- refer to them, and none of them were household names. You didn't have Elon Musk uh, purchasing Twitter. There was no way to even popularize the issue because you couldn't even talk about it. The, you didn't have the House investigations from the Jim Jordan Committee or the House Homeland Security Committee or the Oversight Committee. You didn't have the subpoenas. You didn't have people being hauled in for transcribed interviews. You didn't have the lawsuit with Missouri v. Biden for the America First Legal Lawsuit. Or the, or the three different state attorney generals who've done these censorship investigations, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the whole panoply, and so they got away with it. And what was amazing is, I'll just say as a final note, is I watched these people's morals evolve over time on this, because I, I've been doing this for eight years, and they didn't start out with the kind of brazenness that they that they walked themselves up to you know, around the, the COVID and 2020 election. And then when they did this foreign to domestic switcheroo and took this Russian censorship predicate, Mm-hmm. that it existed from january 2017 up until summer of 2019 and then four months later the pandemic starts and then three months later the mail-in ballot sort of uh, operation started they that, at that moment they could have just shelved it all and said okay well we're not going to do censorship anymore because there's no more russian threat for the 2020 election but instead they just transitioned it all home with this democracy branding and they were able to get away with it until quite recently uh,
1: until quite recently uh, the issue here is 2020 and the epidemic, government intruding into our private lives as citizens in this country, Uh, and translation, that means diminishing our constitutional rights uh, wholesale in many instances, we have a government that actually turned against the American people. Because this we can talk about in terms of censorship, but the reality is the consent of the governed uh, is absent anywhere in the algorithm that remains? Uh, do you agree?
0: Oh, not just in the algorithm at the network level. I mean, what, what you're talking about is not, um, you know, is not an idea from from you or me. It's it's an idea, it's, it's actually the, the central thesis of the Biden administration's legal defense of their censorship scheme, which is that the First Amendment. Uh, needs to be uh, effectively somewhere between shelved altogether, or more broadly interpreted in the age of social media, because um, democracy did not anticipate social media. I and mean, this is this is the argument that that they are making in the Missouri v. Biden case that the traditional interpretation of the First Amendment should no longer apply. And a great example of this is actually one of the origin points of government censorship. Is a small little nucleus tucked within the State Department called the Global Engagement Center, which was initially set up to give the government the capacity to, to censor ISIS because in 2014 and 2015, during the Obama administration, as part of the lead up to putting boots on the ground in a military sense uh, into Syria, there were all of these, you know, hyperventilated threats, uh, you know, surround sound media about ISIS recruiting Americans on Facebook and Twitter, and it was everywhere, and that gave this sort of political predicate to set up a group within the State Department that would be able to have a liaison office at the highest levels of YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and every major platform and forum uh, on the Internet to be able to tell them, hey, these networks need to go down, this speech is not allowed, this person sounds like an ISIS recru- or, or, or ISIS propaganda. They map the whole language, the exact same thing they would do for critics of mail-in ballots, for, for COVID, or for COVID-19 heterodox opinions, uh, which is this, this process, uh, when you're creating these, these censorship algorithms of mapping the, the specific linguistics of, you know, the slang terms, the prefixes, the suffixes, the, the slogans, the, the hashtags. Um, you know, every, there's a unique dialect that, that every belief system articulates, you know, we, we, you know, who, who tend to be more on sort of the, the right side uh, or conservative side of the aisle can very quickly identify this when we hear social justice or, or cultural Marxist type, type talk, we can sort of identify that immediately just with our own sort of human capacities. Uh, you can only imagine the power of AI to be able to do that. And that is, that is what, you know, was, was basically under construction uh, with the assistance from the Global Engagement Center at the State Department.